seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 131 of Color of Magic, your magic and gaming podcast, where we talk about all types of issues that affect players at and away from the gaming tables and computers. I am your host, Taquan Watson, and for 131 really possibly questionable but highly entertaining episodes, <laughs> I still got my main man, Brian Allen. How's it going, dude? Unless you're about to say highly questionable, like, wait, that's gimmick in first bit, right? That's, yeah, that's uh, true. Or somebody. That's true. Doing, doing pretty good. Not questionable. Actually, didn't they, did, wasn't that Dan Lebetard show? I believe it was. So yeah, I guess they, they, just, they closed that. They finally ended that one, like, uh, like at the very beginning of COVID, I think. Because I, I don't think he, I don't think he resigned ESPN, if I remember correctly. Oh, that might be what it was. I think yeah. he's moving on. He may have already moved on. That show was fun with him bringing his dad on and stuff. His dad is the best. Yeah, that was good stuff, man. So many good clips from that show. People need to go look that dude up and his ESPN stuff. That was really, it's it was like a interview, sports show, whatever, but it was so entertaining and it had like an odd family feel yeah. element to it. Because, you know, everybody's got that uh, the, that crazy relative that's like, yeah, this is the way this thing should work. Like, really? That's how you, with, with no understanding of, like, for example, the NFL salary cap. <laughs> and, he's, and he's going in here as if he understands it and obviously doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They, everybody's had those conversations in their in their family, you know, much yeah. less around their friends. Why can't they just pay him $100 million? <laughs> everybody. Pay everybody $100 million. Yep, They should all make that. Every position. You know, they all make that much money. They, it'd be great. But yeah, before we dive into things here, let's pay some love to Cardsphere over at Cardsphere.com. They have been longtime supporters of our podcast, but they also support a lot of other up-and-coming Magic content creators. Lots of small creators. So, you know, show them some love so they can keep supporting people. They're a great place to buy and sell cards at the price you want. And it's a bit of a different site. And it's really run by just three really quality dudes. So go over there, pay them some love over at cardsphere.com. And then we want to give a Patreon shout out. So if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash color of magic. And this week, we want to give a shout out to Nico. I believe that's all that's in there. just Nico. But Nico did come on as of June 2021. So getting close to a year in. So yeah, thank you for the support, Nico. And if you want to get something for yourself, check out colorofmtg.com slash shop, where we have some playmats and tokens that you can pick up, especially as we start visiting stores again in the future, especially with those qualifiers coming up soon, starting in July, I believe, July, weekend of July 2nd, I think, are the first qualifiers. But all right, that brings us to the episode. We got a lot to talk about. And man, you know, <clears throat> before... I get too deep on this. I kind of want to say, like, though this is somewhat political, it's more political because of the way things went down. But the actual action is what we want to talk about. And for those of you who don't know, I guess now we have to say Judge Katanji Brown. I guess she was already judge. What's the title we use for uh, Supreme Justice yeah, Katanji Brown? Justice. Is, is now the official term, but she has been confirmed into office. And she had to sit through, God, I guess it was three days of some 
really uh, suspect questioning, I would say. Supreme Court hearings are always a beating. <clears throat> and I would even say that it, it to the point that at one of them, I believe they asked her, well, how many justices do you believe should be on the Supreme Court? Blah, blah. And she says, well, that's not my job. That's for Congress to decide. Like, we don't decide that as justices. Well, you'd be okay with there being 28 justices. It's like, well, if Congress says that's what y'all think you need, then I guess, you know, like, I'm like, how do we keep getting people asking questions of these people that don't even know what their job is? Like, this comes back to when we talked about Zuckerberg and they didn't understand the difference between Facebook and Google. And they're grilling him saying, like, it's a yes and no answer. And he's like, no, it's not. Like, we're not that, we're the, we're the other company. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, how? How do these people get to keep making laws? Like, this, this is why the U.S. is in a disaster. But the issue I do want to talk about is on the last day, on confirmation day or whatever we call that, we had to sit through, I don't know how many Republican representatives and, and whatnot, but... It felt like each one went on for like a minute, minute and a half, two minutes talking about, oh, well, we think her work history speaks for itself. You know, her record at these different jobs, you know, the respect she gets from people, her education, her ability to communicate, blah, blah. But I didn't like the way she answered representative so-and-so, so I'm going to vote no. Uh, I think she's... She lines up well for the job, and she's more qualified than other people we've ever had, blah, blah, blah. But I don't like the way she ruled on this thing. I'm going to say no. And the whole time I'm watching that, and I even talked to some other black folks I know, and they, they, they largely felt the same way. Is this was just like repeating what happens to black folks in society. Like, you get gassed up. They're going to tell you how everything's great and how you did everything right. And how you're next in line, and you should do this, whatever. But we're going to go with this other person. And it was just like, man, it was like watching those reps. It felt like, and I don't even use this term very often, but it almost felt like those reps were gaslighting me from my living room. Yeah. Like, that's sort of what it felt like. Like, I'm like, man, I have totally been there in so many different situations. Hell, sometimes it's been when you just try back in the day, you might just be trying to date somebody. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, I think you're a good dude and you're really smart and like, it's cool that you're holding down a job and all this, but uh, my parents would be mad if I dated you. Like, you know what I mean? That's sort of like, it doesn't matter what level. Like, you, uh, most black people I know have had some yeah. level of that happen multiple times. And it was just like, how can you sit there literally for, I mean, you're talking, and I'm not even exaggerating. Some of them had like six, seven good things to say about her. And they were just like, yeah, but I'm going to vote no. And you know damn well their constituents were good with that. Right. And I'm like, you just told your own people to like, we really think she's better than all these other people for all these reasons. But I don't like this one thing. So I'm going to say no. That'd be like somebody shows you the house of your dreams, right? You're like, it's got the perfect kitchen. It's got large renovated bathrooms. The bedroom's huge and immaculate. It's got a nice manicured lawn. And you're like, nah, but I don't like these windows in the living room. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like what? Like, it's got literally every single thing you want, but you're like, nah, them those windows, I can't live with that. And in fairness, somebody's probably done exactly that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But even that is just as absurd. It's just like, come on, man. Really? Like, I, like, 
it's just terrible to have to watch. And like I said, and this is after like watching people mispronounce her name and blah, blah, and all this stuff. Now, to be fair, side note, credit to Cory Booker, because he just got like, I don't know if you saw his speech. He got yeah. the tears out of everybody. Yeah. Like he was he he might as well save that speech for Independence Day. Like he, was, <laughs> Had he made that speech before he ran for president. He probably would have polled far better. Oh, you ain't lying. You ain't lying like that. That. Oh, my God. But yeah, I mean, that that to me was just like a culmination of so many things. And I was like, dude, I have felt that even in the gaming industry. Where you have people prop you up, but then still won't support your stuff. You know, you have people tell you, I've had people tell oh, your store's so great. It's awesome you're doing this, whatever. Don't show any support beyond that. Like, oh, I have this idea. To, uh, we love what you're doing with all the kids programs, this, that, and the other. But now nah, we're not going to prove this thing for you. But the whole time, you're watching other people get supported. And you're watching other people get things approved or whatever. And it's just like, what the hell, man? So credit to her, like having to sit through that, getting through it. Cause it's like, man, and, and I hate being that person, but it's one of those times you look to just go like, you you took one and you you won one for the team. You know what I mean? Precisely. Like, like somebody got one. You know what I mean? Like about time. It's sort of what it felt like. Just when you're listening to those reps, it's just like, bruh, like really, you're gonna do this here too. Like, uh, but you know. She did get confirmed, not by a lot. It was like 54-47 or something like that, 54-46. We knew it was going to be close because, you know, many, many years ago, they would actually get, you know, if you would actually get, to, you, you might get 10 or 12 people, you know, to switch political sides because they, they know how, especially Biden's got, what, almost three years left in his term. He, he's getting to a point of justice. There's nothing they can do to prevent it. Yeah, but, that's true, too. But each time they do it now, it gets more and more polarized to where I think several I forget the exact count is, but several people that had already voted for her the last time she was for the for the job she has now didn't vote for her this time. Yeah, I Which, think Ted Cruz was, was one of the ones that voted for her last time and all of a sudden can't support her now. Yeah, but and several of those ones that did support her previously were. Oh, she was great. She was the perfect person for the job. This exactly type of person we're looking for. But the minute you get to give her a job of real power, you're like, ah, she's not the one we're looking for. Yeah. And again, we, we've been through that, right? Like people doing that at their jobs. Or you're like, hey, I have this like, oh, your ideas are great. This is awesome. Like you're really helping us make extra money, whatever. Ah, we're going to take somebody else to be the new manager. You know, we're going to take somebody else to be the new executive. And it's just like, really, though? This is what we're doing after you just don't like I can prove to you how much money I help you make and save. But you're going to go with this other person. All right, cool. But I get it. That's just the way it was. But anyway, I'm going to get off the soapbox because we got some other stuff to cover in the show. Yeah, as uh, you may have heard, uh, former Washington commander quarterback and uh, currently playing for Pittsburgh, Dwayne Haskins was killed in, on, in an auto accident over the weekend. And you know, a lot of people have just been talking about the coverage and how it just feels more and more like we are unable to treat professional athletes as human beings because so many of the obits at first mentioned, you know, that basically through the, the word bust, 
or failure in there talking about his football career. And I mean, he was 24 years old. We'll never know at this point whether he would have succeeded or failed because really he was still had still had so much time to go possibly. And then as you saw the same thing, you know, from fans and people to the same using the same words like he's a bust, he's a failure, he, he wasn't a success. Like he was more than a football player. He, he was somebody's son, somebody's brother, you know, hundreds of people's teammate. And it just. I'm with you, man. Like, because don't get me wrong. Like he, he played for the enemy, right? Like whatever. But you don't want like one. It's just freakish. The dude's just out for a jog and gets hit, you know, by a car. Like, that's the first thing. So it is pretty tragic that, yeah. I mean, just it's not like he was out partying it wasn't like he was doing drugs it wasn't like you know a gunfight like literally was just doing a daily workout and got hit you know which is crazy but i'm with you to see the responses of people saying oh well he wasn't that good anyway i'm like somebody being good or not at their job doesn't mean they deserve to lose their life in an auto accident right like, what's wrong with us as people? And I think Adam Schefter and a couple of other people that wrote the initial obit have apologized. And I know when I first started writing obituaries, it was to the point where, you know, really in an obit, you didn't say anything negative because it was an obit. Now, in, in the era we're in now, obviously you're having people die that have all kinds of charges that have been leveled against him. So, yeah, I understand that, let's say, an obit like, uh, for example, William Hurt that just recently died. You know, people brought up, hey, he, you know, apparently was at least accused of abusing uh, several of the people he dated. And as a journalist, do you discuss that? It feels like, you know, I think every publication has a different stance on it. But I mean... This ain't now, that, let's say, obviously. There's there's some where like, you know, when Harvey Weinstein yeah, passes. Bits, yeah. Yeah, you 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 can't ignore that. You know what I mean? Like that's basically gonna be one of the defining things of his life slash career or whatever now. Like you you can't write anything and not mention that, or else you're yeah. just gonna look like a sympathizer effectively. You know what I mean? Like there are some things. But you're talking about a kid that hell, the worst mistake he made was probably doing something dumb in college. Yeah. And like, again, and you're also talking about somebody who just died tragically. So it's not like, you know, somebody who died, like I said, in the midst of doing something else. Like, this is just a freak accident. And you lost somebody who possibly was a good sports talent. You know, hell, he was he was lined up to get to be the starting quarterback of, of the Steelers. Because what's his name? Roethlisberger was retiring. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, it's going to be that story of, you know, untapped potential. We never will really get to know what kind of quarterback he could have been in the NFL. Yeah, so, but you know what? We we saw this, what, three years ago when when uh, Sean Taylor passed or whatever. Yeah. Four years ago, I guess it was. When when the cornerback was, coincidentally, also for, at the time, the Washington football team, or I guess whatever. I guess they were still the Redskins back then. But... That's not where a dude just broke into his house. He got shot, you know, and people still were like, oh, well, he shouldn't have had this. Or if he'd have had this protection, or he'd done. I'm like, yo, he was at home. Right. <laughs> in his house, lying in his bed. I was like, dude, if somebody breaks into your house, that ain't his fault. 
Like, come on, man. And and the opposite, like, it's arguable Sean Taylor was going to probably be on pace at the way he was playing to be a potential Hall of Famer. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it didn't even matter the level of how well they played. Because now you have two examples of somebody who was struggling and somebody who would already basically was going to be a career pro bowler, you know, by all practical measures. And people still gave him crap. I'm like, man, that's crazy. That's crazy. We got to be better as humans. Like, we got to have some level of sympathy just for humanity of a person. You know, sure. Hell, I I could die tomorrow and there'll be somebody who's like... I was that dude that just ran his mouth on that podcast all the time. You know what yeah. It's like, bruh, like, really? Like, that's where you're going to go right now? Like, but there's going to be somebody. You know there will be. Oh, absolutely. There's going to be somebody. And I just that's, look at that. That's it's like, where we are now. It's I don't just... have to like you. Like I said, you're talking about dudes. I'm a Cowboys fan. They basically played for the enemy. But I'm still not going to badmouth a human because they just put on a, a different uniform. You know, and like, even, even not talking about, you know, somebody's illness or somebody's death, we just got to, we, we, again, we just got to remember to treat athletes as human beings. Really, they're not, we've got this bad habit of treating them like a, a stock, a commodity, you know. You're not wrong. I mean, I get it. They're there for entertaining. That's where, you know, they make their money or whatever, but. They still go home to families. They still have kids to worry about. They still have bills to pay. They still have health issues. You know, all the things that happen to us still happen to them. They're just doing it in a nicer house. Right? So, yeah, that's that's a tough one. But, yeah, sucks to see him just, like I said, when I heard the news, I was just like, golly, that sucks. Like, and, and not even just because it was an athlete that hadn't seen their potential yet, but just like this young kid who's got life ahead of him, big time contracts and all, and just random freak accident. Like you don't want to see that happen to anybody. No, you don't want to see any 20 year, 24 year old, you know, come to the, come to the end of their life. It's just, it's unthinkable. Yeah. And I've told people before, like if I die at 75, 85 years old, and I've lived a good life, celebrate my life, whatever. If I die tragically tomorrow in some freak accident, I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, But you don't want to see anybody die young like that. That's rough. But all right, Brian, you know the drill. Why don't we tell everybody what we learned this past week? Because uh, I think we have some interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah. Apparently, Subway is now the the, the rest, fast food restaurant leader in America. They have passed McDonald's. Apparently, I guess it's been going on for back and forth for a while now. Subway is in the lead again, which when I thought about it, like, yeah, I could probably name five within the nearest two cities. But I, it wasn't until somebody pointed it out. That, yeah, you, you think, when you think about something that's on every quarter, I think you still think of McDonald's or well, certainly Starbucks. I was going to say probably Starbucks first. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, like the subway thing makes sense, right? If you think about it for two reasons. One, their footprint's way smaller, right? I mean, each subway is like a third to half the size of a McDonald's. But from a franchise perspective, subway's got to be cheaper to get into. I would think so. So, like, if I'm looking for good long-term money and I want to start a business and I'm willing to work a franchise or whatever, I now I don't know. I'd have to look up the numbers, but I have to think subway's cheaper. Because McDonald's requires a lot more stuff. 
And yeah, you know, I mean, they might want you to do a playground, depending on what part of town you put it in. Yeah. Plus, McDonald's has all these weird deals with like real estate and whatever, because that's where the big chunk of their money comes from. So, yeah, by the way, secret, if people don't know that McDonald's make a crap ton of money from real estate deals. I did not know that. Yeah, that's where like the majority of their portfolio comes from. They actually like scope lands and stuff out and buy them and work deals with their franchisees and stuff for long-term land value and whatever. And it's all part of the deals of the business. Like there's, there's a whole thing behind it. Like seriously, if you want to dive deep and understand why McDonald's is worth what they are, it's about way more than hamburgers. Right. Yeah, it, it goes super deep. Also, by the way, random fact, side note, y'all are going to learn a lot on this episode. Like, do you, have you ever noticed how there's like a Burger King a lot of times close to a McDonald's? I have noticed that. That's actually purposeful because McDonald's spends a lot of money on research on what are the best intersections, what businesses have certain levels of income that can spend money on fast food and blah, blah, all this stuff, right? So, you know, if McDonald's puts a thing here, Right. It's probably good for me to put one here. <laughs> All the research has been done. So if you ever wonder, like you see a McDonald's, you're like, why is there like a Shake Shack catty corner to McDonald's? It's like, because there's going to be enough money for both of y'all. Mm. McDonald's has already done the math. Like you just had to buy the property fast enough for somebody else did. <laughs> you know? So yeah, there's there's a crazy amount of, of levels to things uh, as far as fast food business. It's way more than just the food you're being served. Seriously. It's levels upon levels like once you're and and it kind of makes sense once you're at that level where you're talking about literally billions of burgers sold it becomes about way more than the burgers there's too many other ways to make money but yeah there you go that was a double what did you learn right a triple what did you learn actually yeah so for me everybody who knows me knows i've just been busting my butt doing content for the last two years and i've watched almost no tv series or movies or whatever because i've just been busy I catch like one here or there, but I really have had haven't had much time to sit down and like watch series and stuff, which, yes, all the popular ones I haven't seen, like Arcane, blah, blah. All the, I've seen none of those. Like I literally watch people talk about stuff on Twitter and I'm like, I'll see that eventually. But I decided we're going to get caught up on the MCU stuff. So we watched uh, Shang-Chi, uh, the what's his name? I don't know why. Uh, Hawkeye. Like that was cool. Uh, we watched all that stuff, but we finally got up to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I guess got up to. We did them in the wrong order, but whatever. It didn't affect the viewing of the other ones. <laughs> but I got to tell you, if y'all have not seen this series, Sam Wilson, the character, gives the, honestly, maybe the best speech we've seen in a superhero movie. Because I can't think of one better. So, I mean, there might be one that is just skipping my mind, but I've thought about it for a couple of days now and I can't think of one. But he gives a speech to some politicians about how they don't understand people and they don't understand how anyone can be upset at them and how taking actions they're going to take are only going to galvanize the other side and like how they can't see what's right in front of them and, you know, what the people really need and whatever. And watching it, literally, I was just like, I almost stood up and just clapped. I mean, like, he got done. I was just like, damn. Like, I'm looking for an offering plate. I got, like, my hands <laughs> I'm like, damn, preach, dude. Because for real. And and what I liked about it is I genuinely thought, like, man, this is a speech that you can tell went through multiple revisions to get to a point where they were able to deliver a message. It didn't come off as taking a political side. It didn't come off as super preachy. It was very matter-of-fact, matter very heartfelt. 
Like it, it literally, like you felt like the character, like the the dude playing the character meant every word coming out of his face. And I was like, man, this is how you need superheroes to be. Because that's the type of speech that even if you didn't like some of the like, I don't know, racial undertones to what he said or whatever, like if you hate that speech, you're going to be looked at as a bad person. <laughs> like for real. Like that's how good that speech was. Like if you walked around like, ah, that speech wasn't nothing or whatever. Like, okay, you're the person I need to watch out for. You're you're my supervillain. <laughs> like, because damn, dude, I like, I don't know. I'm sure y'all watched it way before I did. Y'all probably saw it last year or something. But, dude, I, I don't know what you thought, but I thought it was great. Uh, like you said, it really just, uh, I think, talked to a lot of people about stuff they probably haven't considered. And honestly, the show as a whole checked a lot of boxes. Like, just if you're a comic fan, at least the MCU fan, because one of the interesting things they touched on was during the blip, everybody was basically in panic mode. Right. Like everybody had lost relatives, you know, hell, pets, whatever. So people are scrambling, looking for support. So all these different communities came together to help each other out or help each other get jobs or food or keep businesses afloat or whatever it is they needed to do. But then when everybody came back, you have a whole issue of things to deal with because a lot of people have like they started setting up in other people's homes because the people were gone. And, but now those people are back. What do you do? Because these other people have been living there for five years. You know what I mean? Like, but it was kind of like showing human nature that when there was a big panic thing, everybody was helping each other. But the minute everything was normal, everybody went back to being jerks. And I was like, yeah, that probably would happen. <laughs> like, uh, it but, did. COVID. Yeah. Well, mean, that's true. It kind of happened with COVID in some way. Right? Some people didn't stop being jerks, if we're honest. Also true. Some so, people yeah. took the jerkness up to a whole other level. And credit to them, because to my understanding is, I guess there was a weird bit of filming as, as COVID was starting that changed how they planned to shoot the episodes or something. And you really didn't notice watching the show. Like, unless you knew the backstory, it really didn't show. So they, they did a great job with it. Like, honestly, there were there was like the series as a whole, I would say is OK. It was solid. I enjoyed it. It was fun. I don't know if I'd say it was the top thing Marvel's done, but that speech. Yeah, I'm giving that a plus plus top marks. Like it was, it was fan freaking tastic. But yeah, that that's gonna that's my what did you like? Go watch that like that. Yeah, I I literally was like I got done. I'm like how how did y'all how were people not blowing this up? Like, well, a lot of people hate it. A lot of people think it's one of the worst speeches Marvel's there. So it's it, it's a divisive one. I don't know how you could think that speech is bad. I mean, I guess so. I, there's people who hate a lot of positive things right now. So I, guess, <laughs> I guess that shouldn't surprise me. But literally, like, oh, so good. So good. And uh, I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't watched it, but the closure with the one other character that got treated really badly at the end, I was like, oh, that's perfect icing on the cake. Yeah. You know, all that coming together, uh, so good. So good. But anyway, that's what I'm going to tell y'all. If you haven't watched it, there's some viewing. You need to go check it out. Totally worth it. And and they and and they cover a lot of societal issues very cleanly. And it didn't feel very cuz sometimes like we've watched TV shows and stuff for that and it feels very heavy-handed. Like we're going to make this episode about this person who gets mistreated by this person and then they're going to have to work out their issues or whatever. like it a was very done on a special episode. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was done on a much higher level and it felt really 
normal within the sense of the story and everything made sense and felt justified, which I think also helped a lot. But yeah, and, I started and good out. Lord, best treatment of flag smasher ever. Yeah, very <laughs> true. You talk, you talk, we were talking earlier about C and D list supervillains, flag smashers, one of those. Wizard used to have the Mort of the Month. You know, that, that was yep. flag smasher until that TV show. Yeah, that's true. Like it's it's totally worth it. I started out with that series going, I guess I'll just watch it because it's part of the thing and I'll fill in like the gaps so I need for future storytelling. Got to the end and I was like, man, I kind of would watch a season two. I'm kind of into this now. So they won me over as it went on. But all right, let's get into some interesting news of the week. All right, I don't know, Brian, if you've been paying attention, but uh, there have been a crap ton of new Capenna cards released over the last week. <laughs> There's been so many. Uh, I don't know. What are your initial impressions about the set so far? Like, we still have another, I don't know, about 20% of the set maybe to see over the next two days. But as far as, like, the feel, kind of the vibe you're getting, what, do you, what are you taking away from Capenna so far? Oh, it's definitely, there's nothing that just screams out to me right now. I got to build around this, but definitely a lot of interesting mechanics and they have a fun, fun theme, obviously. It's like a new, uh, a new Thrag Tusk, apparently. That's going to be fun. Yeah, that, that one looks kind of wild where you get three life, but then you get a four, four when it's done. Yeah. Yeah, that one's pretty cool. There was a, there's just been a lot of interesting cards and my, well, one, I do have a complaint that we got, I think, three more versions of stuff that either destroy multiple creatures or it'll damage multiple creatures or whatever, because we have so many of those in standard right now. <laughs> but outside of that, I've kind of enjoyed everything else they've been showing off. There's been a lot of flavorful stuff. There's been the uh, even creature types we didn't get a lot of support for, right? Via Shino got a thing, and you don't see those since like, gosh, damn, I don't know. It feels like Mirage. Like we, that's not true. I think there's been one or two since then. But like we really don't talk about that. The elves have kind of sucked, but we got some elves in this set. So that might help those decks. There's a lot of new interesting themes to build around. I I think though, if I have a question for you, like, okay, coming off Kamigawa, right? Where we did all the anime stuff and you know, we did that anime trailer and made these musics of these like futuristic themes or whatever. How do you feel coming off of that going into Nuka Pena? Now that we've seen some of it and it's kind of starting to come together, is this still playing for you like what you expected it would? Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, I, I'm huge into, you know, mob movies, mob TV shows. So, this is, so I, mean, I think it's going to be fun. Okay. Because, like, for me, I've been doing, like, the daily card reviews and everything else as the cards get previewed. And I've been doing my videos with like undertones of like ragtime and jazz music in the background and stuff because I thought it would just be fun. It's cool that people watching the videos are like commenting on it. and They're like, oh, that's a nice touch or whatever. Like, okay, cool. So people get it. So I like that we're able to have that level of theming to it. I'm just wondering. I don't know. I'm not sure. Like we knew it was going to be somewhat of a mob theme, right? Because you had the five families. Like you knew that was going to be a thing. I think the only thing I'm not set on is just like how much that comes through with what, cause we have it in like the name of some of the cards and whatever. I just don't know if I get the full mob feel. I like a lot of the cards though. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm going to enjoy the hell out of the set from a deck building perspective, 
I'm gonna have a blast with that. But I don't know. I I don't I don't feel like it was as I don't know what's the best word. Like maybe as on point as you expected it to be, as they did with Kamigawa and Neon Dynasty. So I I guess what would you want to see more of? I don't know, and that and that's kind of part of the problem. I'm kind of thinking like, what would I wanted to see more of? And it might be because like actually, okay, I think this comes back to like the whole Halo conversation we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I think to do a true mob feel thing, there's some things you can't do or say within the realm of magic without just upsetting everybody. And maybe that's it. Because you can only do so much as far as themes as like kidnapping or murder or, you know, like we're saying, drug smuggling. And, you know, yeah. like you you can only go so far with it before people are like, yo, that's too much. You know, even though the theme is really demons running mob groups. You know what I mean? Like, like these are the worst of the worst doing the worst thing. I so think like, part of the thing is like because okay, as as far as we know, there are no demons in real life. But yeah, we all know somebody that's if not mobbed up, we at least know somebody probably that's been to jail. You know? Hey, didn't we get like twenty years of Sam and Dean telling us the demons are real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. Long God, that show was on forever. I don't know. It may, it may not have been twenty seasons, but it felt I like it was it forever. pretty close. <laughs> It was it was like fifteen or something, wasn't it? Like it was a lot. Consider you know for sci-fi or fantasy theme shows, we're used to you. If we get three years of a fantasy theme show, we're ecstatic. Supernatural was on a long time, dude. I'll tell you the funniest thing for me in Supernatural is that I it was a show I didn't watch any of early on, right? But you'd be flipping channels, I'd be like, "What's this weird thing?" And I'd see like some I don't know supernatural monster or something and you know there's a scene happening and then like 10 minutes later or something one of the brothers shows up and i'm like oh it's that show yeah. <laughs> and then i'm hooked i'm just like watching the rest of the episode but then i wouldn't watch another one for i don't know months and, you know and again <laughs> flipping channels and be like oh what's this weirdo show or whatever and you're like oh it's that show and then eventually i'm like f it let me watch some of this yeah. And it actually wasn't that bad. No, no, definitely not a bad show. I mean, you know, I don't think you stay on, you know, for seriously almost two decades if you're a, a terrible show. Yeah, I think it's one of the shows that got a little bit of a bad rap because I think, you know, like a lot of things, your two lead actors are two pretty guys and a bunch of chicks. And that ain't it by so, accident. You know? yeah, so a bunch of dudes tried to downplay it like, oh, this show's not that good. Like it was the obvious sci fi, like monster of the week, you know, whatever. Yeah. But it was it was a pretty fun show with with good long-term storytelling which was pretty cool but yeah back to the to the set like i think you're right it's that whole thing of with kamigawa there's nothing that we can point to in real life and draw any parallels right? yeah there are any samurais anymore we'd like as much as we'd like to be yeah. full cyberpunk and we ain't there yet and that's what i'm saying and i think maybe that's part of the problem because i think you hit on it correctly is that they can't do deep stories on drug smuggling or some a character dying of an or, overdose or whatever, all these things we see in like mob movies and the Sopranos and whatever, right? Like you can't really do that and dive deep into that story and to like show how bad the demons really are, you know, how crooked the, the, the different families are kind of to sabotage each other. There's only so much you can do before people take it the wrong way. And and credit to wizards, like they're they're working with what you got. Like you, you yep. 
so I think they did a pretty good job for as far as they could push the envelope. Because you saw how people reacted to just Halo existing. Yeah. Right? Like, that's already a problem for people. But, like, if you'd have had, I don't know, somebody setting up somebody and then blowing them up in a vehicle or whatever, you know, like, people would have been like, damn, Wizards, like, you know, <laughs> like that would have been a thing, right? Let let one of their favorite characters get blown up in a, in a limousine or something, you know, or find out that one of the favorite characters was a drug runner, and, yep. you know, whatever the case is. Well, uh, DC kind of pointed this out, you know, with uh, one of their Wonder Woman storylines where uh, there's the issue where Wonder Woman, you know, Maxwell Lord is controlled by controlling Superman. And she's like, OK, how, how do I break this? There's only one way you have to kill me. So, you know, to save to, to save the entire world, she snaps his neck. And it was like, oh, my God, Wonder Woman murdered somebody. And then somebody pointed out. Okay, about five or six issues ago, she knocked Medusa's head off in Yankee Stadium, but nobody cares because Medusa's a monster. (laughs) Exactly. And again, you have nothing to parallel it to. Right? So, yeah, I, I, I think that's one of those things when it comes to storytelling, creation, whatever. It can be difficult to do based on your audience, your product, whatever. And I don't think people think about that a lot when they're saying, oh, I want this from a story. I want that, you know, and, and, you know, not to pump it up because we obviously aren't supporters of J.K. Rowling. But like even in Harry Potter, there were things people wanted or whatever. But it's like, yo, you can't tell and do certain things when you're talking about kids in a story. Right. There's there's a limit to how far you can go with a thing before people go like, no, that ain't right. You know, even though it makes sense reading it. Yeah, even though it makes sense within the confines of the story and it would be a way to show the villains being real villains, you know, because this comes back to, for me, the show that stood out for me when I, and this is as an adult, you know, when 24 first came out, if you remember that, the Kiefer Sutherland show. Like that show to me was like one of the first times I could say I saw like real villains in a show that, you know, if they said, hey, look, if you don't do this by 3 p.m., we're going to go blow up this mall or gas all the people in this building or whatever. And you're watching thinking like, all right, well, the good guys will get there and stop them or whatever. And then something happens and they don't. And then you see a bunch of people start dying and you're like, oh crap. Right. Even Jack Bauer would do things you would never see a hero do on a TV show where they're like, yeah. And they want to know I'm going to have to shoot you. He's not going to shoot me. Kneecap. (laughs) But there were real repercussions for him breaking the law, even though in the name of being good. Right. So that was a story you got to tell with like, hey, both sides are being very extreme, but we're talking about like millions of human lives in the balance. Right. So you you had to push it that hard to get people to feel the stress and the pressure, especially when you're doing like the ticking time thing or whatever. Right. You're trying to add to that level of like, no, this all matters. And there's a time limit on this thing happening. And, you know, we're given deadlines and we got to do this. But that doesn't work for every show. And boy, I would be it'd be interesting to see if 24 can hold up now that we've, you know, now that at this point everybody if they're not should be familiar with bad cops and their actions i don't know if it's even watchable now um i would say it's probably more watchable than the shield probably would be yeah because the shield was basically about crooked cops 
Law and Order has had some of those same problems because, as I mentioned before on the, on the podcast, Elliot Stabler, you know, often beats the hell out of suspects. It's just. Yeah, that's true. And it's not, it's something they point out, you know, there have been a lot of people who like don't send Stabler in there, you know, he'll choke the guy out, but still Stabler yeah. is supposed to be the hero, you know, and it's, it's hard to watch sometimes. I say this as a fan of the actors and a fan of that franchise, that some of it is uncomfortable to watch. But, you know, I, I think this is one of those settings that I flavorful. They've done a good job They you know, they have cards like cement shoes and, yep. you know, all that, which is kind of hilarious. Wire tapping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like all the, all this stuff that's really cool. Like, I mean, this is stuff that would happen, but you kind of have to do them as one-off things. You have to be real careful with the imagery, you know, because people are going to take stuff the wrong way. Right. And, but this is why, you know, we've talked in the past about different settings. I think magic can do and be okay. I always wondered if something like this could or couldn't work. And I think, we're seeing the limitations of like, you can only go so far, but yeah. you know, if we do something like say a Western setting, you can kind of go nuts with that. Yeah. Cause it's, cause at some point you can even do a shootout between two major characters if you want to. Right. right. And set up the death of one of them or whatever, however you need to do it. But that's more about like flavor. Cause when we think about Westerns, we're thinking most, if you think about have people list stuff, it's saloons and gunfights and, horseback and tumbleweeds and blah, blah. Like it's all aesthetic stuff for the most part, you know, more than anything. So I think that can go over really well whenever they finally get around to doing that. But and probably have some kind of dual mechanic, you know, where y'all both meet at high noon and do something. Yeah, that's true. But I will say this though, for the set, I think there's going to be a lot of new potentially staple cards. I hate using that word, but I mean, you know, I use it because the community uses it, but a lot of these are going to be cards that show up in commander games. I think they add to a lot of themes that already existed, which I think I always think that's a benefit, right? Even if they're not top level tournament things, if a large chunk of the community can look at that and go like, Oh, that's going to go in my such and such deck, or I've got a tokens deck. That's really going to love that or whatever. Like that to me is a win just as much. Where do you feel like the power level is? I think the power level is pretty solid. I think there's, stuff that if you work toward it it can have a really big effect but i also think there's just some good quality efficient cards in the set too some of these like three mana you know come into play with haste have an ability do a thing that's pretty cool you know there's the four mana three three with haste and something and then like each creature that attacks with haste creates a treasure like that's crazy value Hell, we got that four mana uh, Naya colored thing. It's like a colorless red, green, white. It's a four, four. And I believe it has haste, trample, and lifelink. I'm like, that's a damn good magic card. Right? Like, you're just going to play that card. Like, it's if you're playing those colors, I can't imagine you're not playing at least three of, if not four of that thing. Like, it's fantastic. So a lot of that stuff, I think, is very good without being overpowered like just being very good quality cards i think that's what you want more often than not but there's are some things as much as i can start out complaining about the sweepers and stuff we got a couple of cards that like you know return these things you know these things from your graveyard to your hand return you know up to power three from your graveyard to the battlefield you know so you do get a few recovery cards that we didn't have before which could also play a part in how things are going so I'm going to have fun deck building and see how things play out with this one. But there was something else that happened this week. 
we had a new secret layer, actually a lot of secret layers with the April Super Drop for 2022 that just released, I think this morning was when it went live. I think we got a glimpse of it last week, but I think it just went live today. A quick rundown, though, of what's in there. There's uh, the Nuka Pena Gilded Foil Edition that I believe only comes in foil. And they have uh, three pretty popular cards in that setup. You've got the Matt Jukes Foil Edition of land, or just lands. I mean, you can get them foil and non-foil. Not my style. They are very, very simple. <laughs> uh, I will tell you, I went to an art museum today, actually. And cool. this is these lands are kind of one of the things we were talking about while we're in there. Like, it's hard for me to be excited about these because though I do accept that they are arts by nature, they just don't look like somebody put in real effort. You know, and it's pretty hard for me. And it sucks because I know I'm insulting somebody's work. So I, I do feel bad about that. But like, it's hard for me to be and when people say, like, why don't you like these? Why aren't you excited about those? I mean, because it looks like somebody just phoned it in. Right. So I but. Basic lands do well long term, so people still buy them. I don't, it's hard to me to justify spending $30 on five lands, but whatever. Um, Magali Villanueva, Villanueva, actually, I guess would be the name, actually got an artist series. So there's four of those in there. Uh, Siddharth, uh, Char- uh, I actually messed that name up before, actually. Chartavetti actually got four lands or four cards, not four lands. And then Wayne Reynolds also got four. So you got three artist series in there. And then what's funny is they had the the left-handed magic cards that they did as a April Fool's thing. They turned into actual secret layers that you could buy. So there are five cards that are done with all the text on the opposite side so that you can hold them in your hand layered differently as a left-hander and still be able to read them, which is pretty funny. So yeah, those are available as well if you want those. And then uh, just some totally normal guys uh, being for... Useful, just quirkily, quirkily. Is quirkily even more quirky? Odd, drawn. Oh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. But I don't I think can... so either. But being some very awkwardly drawn things that are in there. So overall, I think like all the time. Uh, oh, also, I think they had astrology lands available or something uh, coming soon if you want to buy those. But for my money, generally, these super drops are actually fine if you buy them by the bundle because then you save, I think, like, 10% or 20%, something like that. You save a big chunk of money. So it makes it more worthwhile to purchase. Individually, I mean, if you only got the cash for a couple, obviously just go for the ones that have the most playable cards in there. That's been kind of my thing. It's like, if I look at a grouping and it's like, okay, only one of these aren't playable, this is probably going to be a good way to spend your money. Because what we've seen is the more sought after the cards are, the cards still hold their value and go up even more uh, down the road. So, I know people look and go, ah, secret layers. I suck. I wish Wizards wasn't selling stuff directly to people or whatever. Well, get over it. It's a thing. The Squidward like, tentacles complaining about this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I tell people, like, here's the thing. One, Wizards is not taking money away from retailers with this. Please stop that narrative. I have tons of reasons I can show that retailers are doing just fine without this, and most would probably do terrible with it. So let's stop that. Number two, if there's really no other outlet for these, these are the best way for them to distribute these anyway. So whatever. And the people who don't want them just won't buy them. It's fine. Nobody's forcing you to. They're all reprints. It's totally okay. But for me, I don't really care about odd versions or foils or whatever. It's not my jam. But I do like money. So 
I buy some of these and I have them just sitting around, not even opened. Like, and I know some of these have those like inserts and random other things you get out of these that are probably worth extra money. I don't even know which ones I have. I haven't opened them yet. Now, admittedly, I don't buy a lot of them, but I bought a couple of super drops and I bought the uh, secret layer black is magic. I think I bought like three foil and four non-foil of those, something like that. And those were worth almost double their value before they even got in my hands. But again, that was a set where they were all playable. So I was like, well, obviously this is going to be worse stuff. Hell, it has that like a Teferi Hero Dominaria. It had like a Soul Ring. You know, like, I'm like, these are obviously going to be playable. So, and sought after. So yeah, let me snag a bunch of these and I'll use them for giveaways and stuff down the road. But yeah, that, that's kind of how I analyze what I'm going to pick up from Secret Layers. But yeah, I expect these to be worth just like the others, we have pretty good long-term value based on what's in there. But uh, Brian, if I'm not mistaken, you came across some other news this past week as well. Yeah, uh, E3 is not going to happen again this year because they just, with COVID and everything, are just still not comfortable. We've already had one convention that apparently turned into a pretty big spreader event, so for obvious reasons, they don't want to go forward with it. And even before then, this is a story I've been following because E3, even before COVID, has been struggling. You know, companies like Microsoft and Sony have not been showing up for it and doing their own trade shows. So even for probably a, a good decade before COVID, but they've been trying to solve the problem. Exactly what is E3? And is E3 still relevant as a way to show new video games in an era when almost every company has their own own trade show or yeah, Nintendo I, Direct, Apple Day, what have you? I think E3 wrecked themselves when they started doing awards and for like letting first it started out as like, hey, we're going to make some special ticket prizes. So like the commoners can come watch the show or whatever. But then it was just like, okay, well, let's just sell tickets to the show. You know, and then it's like, okay, well, now it's a consumer show, basically. So what's the exclusivity for the industry? You know, like if you want, because before E3 used to be like, it was like the the CES, right? The Consumer Electronics Show, where you would show up and like, hey, I have this cool new game or new technology. I want to show it off to other potential business partners, you know, talk about this, whatever. And then you would get like the professional news outlet story that like, hey, Microsoft or Sony or whoever debuted this cool thing and blah, blah. And that would be the thing. Now it's just like, Oh, well, you know, Nintendo did a thing and they didn't mention this game and they just showed us coming next year for this other game and blah, blah. And you just get a bunch of people like average Joe's griping about stuff. And it's like, well, hell, if they're going to do that, they can just do their own show and control the entire narrative. Why go to a trade show, you know? So I kind of get it, really. But I also saw... I mean, there was the the spreader event, the, the whatever the other video game thing was. That was just like a couple the, of weeks the, ago. The game developer conference, I believe. Yeah, that's what it was. So that was a thing that a bunch of people got sick at. And then I saw that somewhere else, maybe, God, I wish I remember. I just saw it earlier today, actually. But there's one of the states is going to be reinstituting their indoor mask mandate because apparently their COVID cases went up 60% in the last month. I so, want to say Pennsylvania. Maybe. Yeah, I think I remember uh, Tish saying something about that. 
But, you know, for as much as people are just like, ah, we're over COVID. I'm like, "Ah, if you're in a place where people weren't wearing masks before COVID, you probably have a worse chance of fighting it. So probably want to still wear your mask. But yeah, so I could see why that's a problem. But let's be honest, in the grand landscape of things, other than just like because it's E3, how much is going to be missing if E3 really goes away? Well, I think it's it's a time for the world to kind of look upon video games for video games to be the the top spot in the news because again, they're even though they do let a lot of people in, I think it's still probably at least 50-50 journalists or people who cover video games in there and it's a time when basically the whole world is talking about video games. I think that's a good aspect of it. That's fair. I, I feel like sometimes I catch myself pulling for E3 because they're just one of the old guard that I was like, I don't want to see them go away, but I don't really know what I'm gaining from you still being here. <laughs> you know, it's sort of, sort of how I feel about it, which is, is a rough feeling. Yeah. Because I think you're like, if they do rein it back in, which is what I think they should have done. Just say like, Hey, we're still going to do it, but we're going to make this available just to other industry folks. And, you know, and just have a really hard line for what qualifies to get in to do reporting or whatever and just call it good, you know, and limit the number of people, whatever. And I think they still could have done it. But I think, unfortunately, their business model has started to depend more on extra dollars from some regular people. And I think that's kind of part of the issue there. And plus, like you said, you want to control the narrative and pound for pound, somebody that, you know, runs FinalFantasySite.com is probably not going to be as critical as somebody from IGN or GameSpot is going to be. That's very true. You know, and I, and I think that's a big deal to these companies. Now, there you are know, some cases does- where that person will be 10 times more critical, but I still think pound for pound fans are more forgiving of uh, say Nintendo having a terrible show or some game looking like it's a glorified PS2 game in 2022 than than your average reporter is going to be. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You know, it kind of puts in perspective, like what are the other conventions this year going to look like? Right. Because we've got DreamHack at least scheduling some of their stuff. Granted, theirs is farther off in the year, you know, like October, something like that. But that's down the road. You've got TwitchCon, which is in San Diego in September, I think. Uh, PAX West, which is coming up in a couple of months. So, like, I don't know if those are still going to go on or not. Now, I know PAX ran some stuff last year still. So, I mean, maybe they feel comfortable enough or whatever because, you know, they pulled it off and it was fine. So, whatever. TwitchCon, obviously, and and DreamHack are going to be kind of getting back on the horse, so to speak. So I don't even know what those are going to look like or what restrictions are going to be. You know, they they neither one has put tickets up for sale yet. So we don't even know how many tickets they're going to make available for each day. But that could be a thing. But that also brings up its other thing, right? If we're going to these conventions, our tickets going to end up being worth a lot more. Right? Because if you normally say, all right, we allow, hell, some of these, it's, you know, 40, 50,000 tickets a day or whatever. Like, are we going to cut that in half? Okay, if we do, the ticket prices go up at least 40% to help make up some of that. Or do they sell out really fast and then the scalp tickets are three, four, five yeah. times value? And not right? just the tickets, but all the various prizes, you know, like there's all Hero Clicks will always debut some cool new figure at San Diego Comic Con and so on. Everybody has 
Yeah. You'll be, there'll, be, there'll be board game components you can only buy at a cer- or, or win at a certain convention. Well, not just that, but even some of the stuff you get in the swag bag sometimes, right? Yeah. If you buy the higher level tickets, a lot of those things are items that are exclusive for the show. Well, now there's going to be half as many out in the world. So codes are given out at those things. Yeah. So you be the fan. I mean, it's a big deal who's going to be the first into a beta, not just for fans, but again, for content creators. Because if you're in the beta, you obviously are going to see more than somebody that didn't get to play the beta. So you get you can do videos and and blogs that somebody else can't do because they didn't get to play the beta. Yeah. So it's going to be kind of interesting. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I guess we just have to wait and see because I don't really know what else it would look like at this point. But it's interesting stuff nonetheless. But yeah. E3, this is now going to be two years in a row, so we'll see if they even attempt to put on a third year next year. But we're going to keep an eye on this because there's other conventions we got to pay attention to coming down the road. And in our last news story of the week, this one, I, I, like, I don't know how to approach this other than just to say, like, either I told you so or... Yeah, this was to be expected. But for those of you that don't know, well, I mean, you probably heard of NFTs. Uh, basically, digital signature items, whatever, exclusive one-ofs that have been being traded for ridiculous amounts of uh, cryptocurrency. Well, there was one that was created by Jack Dorsey, who is the CEO, I believe is his title, of Twitter. He basically made an NFT of the first tweet, which, to be honest, just memorializing the first tweet is actually kind of cool. Like, let's be honest. That's something I hadn't even thought about till he did it. And I went, you know, that's kind of cool. But the person who bought it paid the equivalent at the time of $2.9 million, which I think if the math is right, was something like... 3,000 Ethereum, is that correct? Something like that, some big number. But that's worth X number of millions. That being said, he put it up for, I believe his list price on the, there's there's a, uh, a an exchange site called OpenSea that I believe he put it up for almost 15,000 Ethereum. So he was trying to get $46 million. Now, admittedly, this is one year after he bought it. So he's trying to turn $3 million into $46 million, which, first off, already ungodly greedy. Let's be real. <laughs> like, like, bruh, come on. Like, it, now, if he'd have had, like, $3 million, put it up for, like, $10 million, like, all right, you're still going to make out like a bandit, you know, and you're more likely to get some takers. But then he put the auction up, and when it closed, he had a high offer... <laughs> Of $277. Ew. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a good chance he's not going to accept the bid. (laughs) But it kind of tells you where things are, right? Now, okay. Let me say this, because I want to be completely transparent. I am not against NFTs. I am just against NFTs and how they were being presented and used over the last couple of years. Like, I get it. We can argue the energy consumption, blah, blah, whatever. Everybody has their stance on that. My problem with NFTs was that you were trying to convince me as an average person 
that somewhere down the line, people were going to want one of your, whatever, your hangry hippo collection with 250 different variants of the exact same generically drawn hippo with just different clothing on. Like, this one's got a blue hat. This one's got a red hat. This one's got a cigar. This one has a chain. This one has sunglasses. Oh, the hippo's pink in this one instead of gray. Like, whatever. But it's the same thing in every single picture. To the point that they're basically just using, like, computer generation to knock out as many as they could. And then we're selling them, you know, on these exchange sites for hundreds of thousands, if not millions, apiece. And there were some other ones that had, like, this weird scrawny-looking drawn dude. Same thing. Different hat. Different sunglasses. Different accessories. Blah, blah. Whatever. And I I spent a couple of days doing a deep dive on trying to understand, like, okay, why are these moving? What's the appeal here? And when I was done, I was pretty certain that the only people who want these are other rich collectors. These aren't going to have regular value to an average person because there's nothing to draw their interest. Right? You basically have a picture that looks like an eight-year-old drew it, or at least a 10-year-old. I'll give you some credit. But it looks like <laughs> that's some credit, a 10-year-old. <laughs> I mean, to tell me I'm wrong though on some of these, right? Some, look of like are, a, some of them are terrible. Yeah, they look like 10-year-olds drew them, and they were basically generated images of the same thing where you change one accessory. Like the average person isn't gonna want that. They just weren't. And I was like, Yeah, this is gonna be a thing that just bombs. To the point that I literally thought plotted out a hit and run. I just couldn't get anybody <laughs> for the technology quick enough to be able to do the minting for them. But I, I was close. I ain't going to lie. Like I had a couple of artist friends that if I could have got everybody on board at the same time, we were going to try to cash out like 500 K a piece and move on. <laughs> like I wasn't even worried about the long term. That's how I was selling it to people. It's like, look, let's, I, I have a plan. Maybe we can get you paid today and that's going to be it. We ain't talking about long-term tracking it, doing a follow-up. Like this is going to be a one and done, you know, because I was, I was pretty sure I didn't want to get caught up in this, you know, and this doesn't surprise me now. Like I said, if you can bring me a project where you can get me five old school magic artists, like year one magic artists, and they're going to do some updated artwork, maybe of their like original cards or something with newer stuff. And they're going to be one of ones and they're going to be signature pieces or whatever. Okay, cool. Now you're giving me artists that have an established history, a fan base that's interested, a unique piece that is a for real unique, well done piece of art. Like people might still want that in the future. That you could sell me on. But like the stuff people have been putting up. Now, we did talk about this off the air. I got no hate for any of the people that were memed up and got paid in the last couple of years. Oh, absolutely. Because some of them people, uh, one of I think one of the girls made all, almost like a million dollars or whatever off her meme. I was like, cool. Because, you know, these people got ridiculed, you know, being a meme for who knows how long. So the fact they could cash out, I got no hate for them. Plus, yeah. let's be fair. Those memes are kind of unique and they brought a lot of fun to our lives. So if they got paid, there was at least value there. <laughs> I got no problem with that. Cause you know the poor girl, the, the, the little girl standing there while the house is burning down. Like she, if, if, they, if she gets recognized on a job interview, like she got problems. Oh, dude, I, I told you. For me, it was the the crazy uh, obsessed girlfriend. Yeah, that's another like, one. There is no way that girl did not get laughed at, harassed, whatever for probably most of high school. And for her to be able to cash out like a million dollars later, shoot, Where is get it? paid. 
Yep, get paid. That's the karma truck coming around. Go buy you a house. Because we all got a picture where we look crazy and we didn't want anybody to see it. And luckily for, for us, most people did see it. Or if they did, it was maybe a couple of hundred people saw it on our Facebook as opposed to the millions of people that see these memes. You know why? Because when we grew up, that crap was on a Polaroid and it's in a mom's <laughs> picture album somewhere. It wasn't on a cell phone on Twitter. Like, let's be real. That's right. the only reason people didn't see our pictures. But yeah, like this whole thing. So not a surprise that you're seeing, I, I guess, the bottom dropout is the way you describe it on this current NFT market. And it's not because I don't think NFTs don't have a use or a purpose. I mean, technically, Magic Online is effectively a bunch of NFTs, yep. right? They minted and created a bunch of cards. You have them in your account. You have access to them. They have a unique code. They're trackable and traceable between accounts. Like, it's effectively an NFT. We're not calling it that, but it's pretty much an NFT. Pretty much any digital card game, like, the, these are NFTs. So the second you yeah. don't have power, these cards are, or internet access, these things don't exist as far as you are concerned. For sure. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a problem with the concept of an NFT. It's just the current version of what people were pushing around that you saw when people were discussing NFTs, I literally was just like, what's the application of this? What's the purpose? Who wants this down the road? Like, what are we doing? At least, like I said, the first tweet, at least, or the memes, it's like, okay, this is at least a part of culture that somebody might want to have later. But everything else, I mean, they were basically pump and dump operations. So, yeah, you're starting to see some of that come around. And I've noticed looking at the markets on some of these other ones, you know, some of these NFT, I guess we'll call them air quotes, art collections. <laughs> like a, a lot of those are starting to see the prices drop out. And, you know, new people are trying to mint these other things in similar fashion. And the interest just isn't there as they were before. Like you have to give people something more, something unique, something different, or else it's going to be hard to sell them down the road. Now, you make those initial sales because you got people plotting on selling them later and we're going to make all this money. But just like this dude, he thought he was going to buy something for $3 million, make 40 plus million. Not even close. So I think that's where we are in the market. But it's something to keep an eye on just to see what other type of things come up in the NFT space in the future and how those work. But yeah, interesting thing nonetheless. But today we have kind of a fun conversation for the dinner table. Uh, I So for those of you who follow me on social media, I posted on Twitter and on TikTok today. And I was asked, because I had this thought, right? And I was asking people, when you were younger, assuming you grew up poor, what are some things that when you went to a friend's house, you saw that you thought meant they were rich? But as an adult, you realize how dumb that was. For me, and this is how I started the conversation, is that if I rolled into your house and I looked at your fridge and you had four boxes of cereal sitting in the refrigerator, I was like, damn, y'all got money like that. Like, because I, I don't know about you, but like we had, we finished a box of cereal before you, like you were lucky to even have the second box in your house or, hell, or bag for that matter in your house already. But you better not crack into that till that first one's done. 
And you definitely didn't have a third or a fourth box of cereal in the house. Like that was a non-starter. See, so, my mom would buy the little, you know, where the, the little six packs, and we would fight over them. Okay, like okay, obviously everybody wanted the honey smacks, and then you would get to the end of it, and there would be healthy cereal, and nobody wanted that crap. Like the last thing in the box is a thing of corn flakes, and it is the dead last thing to get to eat. <laughs> oh, that, well, actually, okay, so y'all got the smaller boxes. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they, yeah. Kellogg would have a little six pack with various, well, I guess six, you know, at least six of their different cereals, ranging from sugary to the corn. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Now, I will say this there were a couple people who, in the terms of TikTok, did not understand the assignment. Like, they came in and they were like, oh, yeah, when I went to my friend's house and they had a Pac Man video game arcade cabinet. And I'm like, no, nah, dog, I think that means your friend just had money. Yeah, they legitimately <laughs> had money. They had a yeah. pack winner. Like, one person said, my friend had two versions of Pokemon and had two Game Boys and a link cable for them, for themselves. And I'm like, no, your friend just had money. Like, ain't no <laughs> way in hell. I'd have, Like, first, I'd have been excited just to get a Game Boy. Like, ain't no way I'd be dumb enough to be like, is there any way you could also get me Pokemon Blue so I could have uh, a Blastoise? And I need another Game Boy and I need a charging cable so I can trade between my game. Like, ain't no way. Yeah, request no denied. <laughs> I might have asked that and woke up in a hospital. Like, I mean, seriously. So that wasn't going to happen. And then somebody else said, what was the other one? There was another random one somebody mentioned. But it was it was basically that type of stuff that I went like, maybe that's just a different level of standard. Maybe they thought they were poor. But because somebody had one thing better than them, they were like, oh, well, they're actually rich and I'm I'm not doing well. Right. So, like, maybe their standards were just different. That would definitely be one of mine was, was video games where if you because I, I got a new video game on my birthday and I got one on Christmas and my birthday is in November. So I got, you know, two games in that, that two month span and then it was dry for the rest of the year. Shoot, that better last you. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So if it's Legend of Zelda, like, yeah, okay, it's going to take me the whole year <laughs> to beat this game. Or you find some people you can trade with. That yeah, was the other thing. did a lot of trading. Yeah, like I'm trying to think. Some of the other good ones were like uh, the fridge with the water in it. <laughs> yeah. That was a good one. Uh, we had somebody who mentioned just snacks in general. You go over, you hang out, and they just got a bunch of snacks. And I was like, yeah. I, I feel you. That makes sense. There were there was just a bunch of good responses. But I started thinking about like it's kind of sad that it would be the simplest thing that made you think that your friends were rich. You know, because we actually had somebody who even said, like, man, sometimes when the ice cream truck came through and your friend just had money to get that 50 cent ice cream. Yeah. And I was like, God, that one hit home. I was like, right. like that one's real. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no denying that. Because like, it absolutely is a thing that, you know, the kid that has the 50 cents doesn't even think about. They're just, yeah, I'm going to get some ice cream. And they, and they don't even, you know, but, but if you don't have it, psh, yeah. It's, yeah, and it's such a simple thing that you wouldn't even question it. if Because if you're the person with the 50 cents, you're just like, oh, yeah, whatever, it's 50 cents. And to be honest, that didn't even mean your friend was rich at all. I mean, his parents were just able to spare like a buck. You so know? did my neighborhood started their own business where, you know, they would like they, they would freeze Kool-Aid and sell a little frozen Dixie cups full of Kool-Aid for 10 cents. Like, that's right. That, that person probably rich somewhere today. Yeah, that's probably true. But, you know, 
there was a case of like all their stuff was brand name in their kitchen. Yep. I was like, yep, that's that's one. That's a good one. Cause like you were talking about cereal, it depends on whether you got like, you know, Captain Crunch or you know, Dr. Crunch or some yeah. off brand. You know? King King Vitaman was often, you know, was a symbol Dude, you of be, like, if you got soda, it was that Dr. Thunder instead yep. of like Dr. Pepper. Right. <laughs> Oh man! This I had a friend that grew up that way. To this day, he prefers the off-brand of virtually every soda. I could see that though. If you grew up with it, there's a nostalgia to that. But yeah, there was a lot of good stuff people mentioned. Just so many random things. You know, just having a backyard was a thing for people. Yes. Like, ah, you got money. You know. Right. But it's just like the the silliest things that you're like that didn't mean somebody had money. It just meant like that current living situation like a couple that people mentioned this came up a couple times just a basement and so much of that is just what part of the country you live in like if you ain't live in new york you probably don't have one exactly there's like, no space for it even rich people if there's just not enough space for basements yeah up here in the northwest a lot of people have basements so it's just not even a thing you're just like okay this house has a basement this house doesn't right you just don't even think about it but that doesn't necessarily mean that house is significantly better than the other one there was also somebody who mentioned like having the nice room that you couldn't go into because it was like for special dining situations or whatever and i was like but that means your friend probably did have money they had a whole house where they had a room that they never touched (laughs) like if you if you can afford to not have a room to not use a room you're probably doing all right they might actually be rich but yeah just like Tons of stuff. The non-wick cereal came up multiple times, like we were talking about. Like, right. That was a thing. Uh oh, this was a good one too. When you had more than two nice pairs of shoes. Cause you I, I normally had like the one like sneakers I would get for school, and then I had like maybe my dress shoes when we went to church or something. And like, you better not mess them up. <laughs> Preach. I mean, that's that's for real what you had, right? So I was like, yeah, but these are all funny things, right? Because I asked because it's an interesting, almost like retrospective on yourself and your life, right? Just thinking about things that as a kid, you looked at somebody else like, oh, their life's so much better because they have this thing, right? So you projected that, well, this thing must mean opulence. So that means they're doing very well. When in reality, it's like they probably just don't have something else. You know, or they're doing just a little better than you. So their family decided to splurge on like that nice box of cereal, you know, or whatever it is. It wasn't that they were just balling out of control. Yeah. Some people like even, you know, people with and without money choose to spend it on different things. Yeah. There are so many rich people that you would never know they're rich because they cheap as hell. They grew up during the depression. Oh, dude, I can tell you. Um I I won't call anybody out in case somebody's listening to this, but if you know who it is, you know who it is. But there's a guy who owns some chicken store chains back home and have some funny stories about this dude, the great guy that I would love to talk about another time. But he genuinely, except for his car, at one point he did actually have a Shelby Cobra. So like he balled out on that, but he would oftentimes just wear his khaki shorts, regular, like, mid-level Nike tennis shoes, uh, a, a polo shirt for his company. And dude, and I kid you not, up until like 
God, had to be at least like 2015, 2016. He still had used a cell phone with that little string earpiece. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, dude, still. I was like, bro. And, and no lie, this dude has franchisees that pay him weekly, like between 10 and 20K. Like his stores do very well. So it's not like this dude was hurting for money. Like he does multiple millions a year. Like I've spoken to him about some stuff and I've spoken to his franchisees, but the dude just didn't have a want or need for super expensive things. So like he literally upgraded his cell phone when he reached a point of just like, all right, there's things I want to do with my phone that I just can't, that I see all of y'all doing and it makes business easier. So I got to get a better cell phone. Right. But until that point, he was like, no, I'm good. I'll just keep using the same thing, you know, until the battery won't charge anymore. I'm going to keep using this. So, yeah, you can't really tell somebody's status just from the way they look or they dress or whatever. Hell, half the time, I would argue, unless somebody's going to a really nice venue, right, or a thing where it's expected you're going to dress up, usually the people that are overdressing for stuff are the ones with less money because they're trying to show out. And the people like showing on Facebook how much money they have. All yeah. it laid out of the bed and whatnot. I will tell you this. When I have money folded in my pocket, the ones are on the outside. There you go. I'm, I'm real. Like, I don't give a damn if you know I got 50s or 100s in this wad. Like, if you're coming after me, you're taking a gamble. This might be all ones and fives, bro. <laughs> like, I, I ain't going to show you what's in the middle. Like, but you got those other people that are like, nah, I'm going to show them I'm carrying a whole band with me right now. Man. Right? Like, I ain't got no business. Hell, even when I go play poker, like, I got the little bills on the outside. <laughs> like, for right. real. Like, I ain't trying to show anybody how much money I got on me. But but it's just one of those things. I think that's generally true. And one of the things that's funny is up here in the Northwest, because you have so many, like, tech jobs and everything else, you have people making, some people making dumb money up here. Like, just call it what it is. And I remember one of the first times, this might have been sometime in the first month I was here. I see a dude coming out of a Starbucks. And I mean, dude, grungy to the nines. He's got like the beat up band shirt, like the disheveled hair, sunglasses, you know, got a couple of different pieces of jewelry on, whatever, and just gets right into a portion, rolls out. And I'm like, you know what? That dude's probably some programmer somewhere making like 250K a year. (laughs) but you wouldn't know it from looking at him except for his car. Like if I didn't see him getting that car, I would have never made that assumption. I'd have just been like, this is just some dude, you know, but it's just the way it is. And it's one of the interesting too, that's different about the West coast and the East coast, especially like the Northwest and the Northeast is Northeast. When I go up there and I'm going to a thing, it's expected. You're going to dress sharp, right? You're going to be business suit, you know, shoes, whatever, for a lot of those functions, especially if you're talking to people in the financial space or whatever, doing a presentation, like there's a certain expectation. But out here on the West Coast, like you can do like your top, you hell, you don't even wear a tie half the time. You got your (laughs) sleeves rolled up on your button up shirt. You know, you might be wearing a nice dark pair of jeans, not even slacks. And that's acceptable. Like nobody's even going to look twice at you. Like it's, it's a whole different thing. So Perception is really important, you know, because it comes from both what that person is trying to project and your personal experiences and what you see from that projection. You know, because now as an adult, like the way somebody's dressed doesn't move me one way or the other, because I've met people from all scopes of life that I know people can put on airs one way or the other. So it doesn't really do anything for me. But as a kid, if you saw somebody in a suit, I'd be like, ah, that person's 
sharp. I bet you they got a nice house and whatever. But you know what? Poor people, we would still dress up to be our Sunday best. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like you, you better not show up to church looking crazy. Your grandma was there. Dude, I tell people straight up, if you took a picture of inside of a black, like Southern Baptist church, like you would think that's a bunch of well-to-do black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like for real. Like, no exaggeration. Like, you would have no clue. So everybody went outside and they got in their like 15-year-old cars to drive home. You know what I mean? Or or on the bus, depending on yeah, how big the true. city is. Could could be the bus, right? So yeah. But I thought it was a fun conversation to have and kind of start up and get people talking to just think about how many things you you look back at and go like, that didn't really mean anything. But I was thinking this person had a bunch of money just because I didn't know better, you know, at that point in time. Fun, fun conversation to think about. Like, and I think each listener right now should just, just think about that from when you were younger, how you perceived a lot of things that maybe not even because of being rich, maybe you thought other things, right? But as you got older, you realize how wrong those thoughts were. But all right, Brian, once everybody where they can find you on social media. All right. I am Brian Sionic on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And our family channel on YouTube is Alan's Ever After. And you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N on most social platforms. And I'm a hell of a follower. You should come over and follow me. You get conversations like this all the time. But as always, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please take care of yourself and your family with all the junk going on in the world. And remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate. Other patreon.com slash colorofmagic. You can also find us on Facebook under Color of Magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at Color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. 